G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. When it comes to the way in which we're drawn away from God, the way in which we're tempted to chase after the things that the world has to offer, the way our enemy, the devil, robs us of life itself, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is the great, big, fat lie that it's all about me. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today, with all my heart, I believe that God wants to speak to us through his word to set us free from the biggest thing that holds us back in our lives, the biggest thing that stops us from being all that he's made us to be. So let's head into his word and please do stick with me because at the end of today's message, I'll be telling you about our latest life application booklet. It's called Living in the God Dimension and I'd love to send you a free copy to help you draw closer to Jesus and live the abundant life that he has ready and waiting for you. We're continuing in our journey from vanity to victory. What do I mean by that? Well, over the last couple of weeks, if you were able to join me, we kind of discovered a condition, a season that we can all find ourselves travelling through at some stage in our lives. It's this thing that happens when one day we wake up and and we look at our lives and our lot in life and and the way we labour away at whatever we labour away at. And like the old King Solomon, we ask ourselves, what's this all about? Why am I doing this stuff? And sadly, very sadly, Solomon, one of the wisest and wealthiest men on the planet, concluded, Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? So in other words, many a person comes to the conclusion that it just ain't worth it. There's no real purpose in life. So let's just get out there and enjoy it, for tomorrow, perhaps, we die. I wonder... As you examine your life, what conclusion do you come to? Is it one of vanity like Solomon's, just kind of drifting along there without a purpose, a life of vanity? Or is it a life of direction and purpose and fulfilment? Well, this week again, as I said, whatever our starting point may be as we assess our lives, we're going to continue on our journey from vanity to victory. My generation, the baby boomer generation, had a name coined for it back in the 1960s. We were called the me generation, because in the post-war economic boom times, we kind of convinced ourselves that we could have it all. In fact, in the middle of the Cold War, with the threat of nuclear annihilation ever present, we decided that the only thing to do was to live for today, because there may be no tomorrow. And so what proliferated to fit that psyche was a ton of consumer technologies. The electric razor, the electric hair rollers, the the mix master, the toaster, and all those other gadgets, and the car, I mean, let's not forget the car, and the television, they all happened to fit with the have-it-all-now, have-it-all-today psyche of the me generation. 
Now, our kids, Generation X, kind of reacted a bit against that. They saw their parents indulging their senses and they saw their parents getting divorced and, and losing everything and the pain that that caused. And so the pendulum kind of swung a bit back in the other direction for a while as they reacted against this gauche materialism which had apparently failed their parents' generation. But then along came Generation Y, whom we so pampered with everything and every experience and every music lesson and every sporting event. We pampered them so much that the pendulum swung even more profoundly back in the direction of me, me, me. I was listening to one expert, his name is Michael McQueen of the Next Gen Group, speaking about his generation, Gen Y. And he said something along these lines. He said, look, it's not that we're selfish. It's just that we genuinely believe that we are the centre of the universe. We genuinely believe that we are the most important thing. Because in the way you, our parents, have pampered us, that's kind of what you've taught us. That was kind of the gist of what he said. And I guess that's where we're at. And now consumer electronics, first the laptop, but then more profoundly the the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad and their various equivalents have focused the world even more keenly on the I, I, I or the me, me, me thing. See, what these technologies tell us is that, in fact, not only can you have the whole world in your hand, you should have the whole world in your hand. That's what's normal these days. The world comes to you. The world serves you. Now, that's the contemporary reality, but there ain't nothing new in that. All along, people have worried about being first, about being on top, about being the winner, about being the best, about being the most recognised, the numero uno, having the most, even when it came to good things. Have a listen to this fascinating exchange between Jesus and his disciples. Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 33. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you guys arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had been arguing with one another which one of them was the greatest. Jesus sat down, called the twelve of them, and said to them, Look, whoever wants to be first has to be last of all and the servant of all. Then he took a child and put it among them, and taking in his arms the child, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not just me, but the one who sent me. I love that. I mean, I absolutely love that. These guys, the disciples, they weren't the baby boomers or they weren't Generation Y, but they had all the characteristics of the me generation, didn't they? They're wandering around with the Son of God and all they can think about is themselves. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who was Jesus' favourite? Who was numero uno in the pecking order after Jesus? I mean, seriously. They were chasing after vanity. They were chasing after number one. And as we heard last week on the program from Solomon, who had all the power and all the wealth that left him feeling empty and hollow. Can I ask you something? What are you chasing after in your life? Right now, what are your priorities? What's important to you? What are you working hard for and working hard on? Perhaps it's to buy a better house for your family or or to pay the mortgage down or, or to get a promotion at work, whatever. And of course, none of those things are in and of themselves bad things. But if they're our priority in life, if that's what life is about for you and for me, we can go along for a while like that, but one day we're going to wake up and we're going to ask ourselves, what is this really all about? Why am I doing this stuff? What does it mean? Where's it going? Why am I not satisfied? Why am I not fulfilled? Surely there's got to be more to life than this. 
Well, as it turns out, there is. And that's why the me, me, me focus simply doesn't satisfy. One writer many years ago, S.D. Gordon, describes it this way by commenting on whether the flow of stuff is inwards, into our lives, or outwards, out to others. Have a listen. He says, into is the world's preposition. Every stream turns in, and that means a dead sea. Many a man's life is simply the coastline of a dead sea. Out of. Out of is the master's word. His thought is of others. The stream must flow in and must flow through if it is to flow out. But it is judged by its direction, and Jesus would turn it outwards. And that's the very point that Jesus is making to his disciples. The whole me, me, me thing is a vanity. It's, it's meaningless. It's empty. It doesn't satisfy if we follow the world's lead of having everything flowing inwards to us, our lives becoming the coastline, as S.D. Gordon wrote, of a dead sea. There's no life in that place. Do you get it? Jesus is saying, if you want to be first, is that what you want? Well, the only way that works, the only way you get satisfaction out of life, the only way you really have an impact in this world is by being last, by being the servant of all, by welcoming this child. That's where it's at. That's where victory is at. Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. I just want to take a moment during this short break to share something truly important with you, something that a lot of people feel is a disconnect with God. Sure, we do believe, we want to draw close, but in this crazy world in which we live, for many, it just doesn't seem possible. I think we all end up in that place at some point. And that's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our latest life application booklet, It's called Living in the God Dimension. Let me tell you, this booklet is full of life-changing, practical Bible teaching to help you draw closer to Jesus than perhaps you ever even thought was possible so that you can live the abundant life that he has ready and waiting for you. And you know, at the end of each chapter in this booklet, you'll find some life application questions to help you think through and apply God's Word right into the realities of your life. So to request your copy, stop by at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 and we'll send your free booklet straight out to you in the post. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Now let's dive back into God's Word to take a look at the paradoxical truth of laying hold of the power and the victory that Jesus won for us on that cross. God's truth inevitably appears paradoxical because His ways, His wisdom, are so different from our ways and our worldly wisdom. Now, if you've managed to catch the program previously and spent any time at all journeying with me, then one thing that you may have noticed is that, well, I'm a pretty passionate kind of guy. I love living life. I love living my life to the full. They tell me that's in part due to my personality type. Yeah, okay, I'm happy with that. If that's how God's made me, fine. And maybe part of that sense of optimism is cultural. I mean, we Australians tend to be a pretty optimistic bunch. That's what comes, I guess, from living in a country that blesses us in so many ways, I guess. And that's fine too. And yet you knew, didn't you, that I was setting myself up for this. It's easy amidst all of that optimism and that sense of anticipation, that sense of wanting to get out there and live life to its full. 
it's easy to find yourself feeling a, a bit on the empty side, a bit on the unfulfilled side. And so my response to that emptiness used to be to try and fill myself up with more, to, to get out there and do more of life, to, to experience more of life, to have more, to chase after more, to, to be more, to do more, to be recognised by more people. And yet the crazy thing, perhaps in one of the greatest paradoxes of life, the more you try and fill yourself up, frankly, the emptier you end up feeling. So I wonder, is the opposite true? If the more we try to fill ourselves up, the emptier we feel, could it be that the more we empty ourselves, the more we pour ourselves out for other people, the fuller and the more satisfied we'll feel? Let's have a look. I guess where this series of messages kicked off a couple of weeks ago was with the sad realisation that one of the wisest, wealthiest men who ever walked the planet, King Solomon of Israel, came towards the end of his life as he concluded that that despite all his wealth, despite all his power, despite the fact that he had indulged in every pleasure that he could imagine, despite his position of huge privilege and power, he concludes, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. What do people gain from all their toil at which they toil under the sun? Don't you think that's, that's tragic? And that's why we're on this journey from vanity to victory through God's word. Because I believe... No, believe's the wrong word. I know that God didn't send Jesus to this earth to suffer and die and rise again for you and me so that we could wake up one day and conclude there's no real meaning or purpose or point to my life. You see, as positively and as optimistically as God's wired me on the inside, I've been in that place. And let me tell you, it's not a place I ever, ever, ever want to go back to. And the exciting thing is that it's not a place that I ever, ever, ever have to go back to. Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It doesn't matter what life throws at us. If we believe in Jesus, then we're meant to live a life of victory not vanity. Let me say that again. Whatever life throws at us, if we believe in Jesus, then we're meant to live a life of victory and not vanity. Maybe vanity, meaninglessness, purposelessness is a disease more of the affluent West. Maybe it's because on any global scale, the people who live in the developed economies have so much they don't realise how privileged they are. But you know something? I've looked into the eyes and seen into the hearts of people all around the world. And whilst vanity may well be more acute amongst affluence, the problem of purposeless in life is universal. Rich, poor, black, white, you name it, you take me to any people group and I'll show you a sense of emptiness in some people's lives, vanity as Solomon calls it, in a good percentage of the population. And it comes, it comes from trying to be the centre of the universe and have everything flowing into us rather than having an impact outwards. One of the things we heard Solomon say about his wealth and power and privileges and pleasures is this. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Solomon said to himself, Come now, and I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But again, that was vanity too. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my mind how to cheer my body with, with wine, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. 
I bought male and female slaves and, and had slaves who were born in my household. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and of provinces. I got the singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, listen to this, whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. But then, then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil that I had spent in doing it, and again, all was vanity and a chasing after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Just what I was saying before, the more we try to fill ourselves up, the emptier we feel. Solomon filled himself up more than perhaps any person in history. And at the end of it all, it was a vanity, it was a chasing after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So right now, I I want to test my hypothesis that the opposite of that may be true. That perhaps the way paradoxically to fill ourselves up is to empty ourselves out, to pour ourselves out for other people. Let's have a listen to the Apostle Paul, who lived mm, a bit of over a thousand years after Solomon. He's on death row towards the end of his ministry, somewhere in a Roman dungeon, chained to a guard, wondering when he's going to be executed. And it seems the last thing on his mind is what people think of him, what people say of him, what people do to him. Paul is the last thing on Paul's mind. Isn't that cool? Paul is the last thing on Paul's mind. Have a listen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. The total opposite of Solomon in his circumstances. But look at the reaction to those circumstances. It is by holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way also, you should be glad and rejoice with me. So what does that word libation mean? Because it's not a word that we use day by day. The picture is of your blood being poured out in a violent death for the cause of God. And, And that's more than just figurative, since Paul, as we discovered in this letter to the Philippians, is literally sitting on death row waiting to die. The people of the church in Philippi were his dear friends. This is one of, no, it's probably the most affectionate of all Paul's letters in the New Testament. And what Paul is talking about here is his life being poured out. And that's what he's done over the last umpteen years. He's been pouring himself out to the point of death. And he does it with such gladness and rejoicing because he's discovered over many, many years of hard, difficult, confronting, dangerous ministry in Jesus Christ's name right across the known world. He's discovered that real purpose, real satisfaction, real contentment, they just don't come by filling yourself up. They come by pouring yourself out. They come when we give all that we are for God and for other people, everything, holding nothing back, not even our lives. And in that place, in that dungeon on death row, in that place of worldly defeat, Paul is able to write about the gladness and rejoicing in his heart even though his life is being poured out. So it's true. Solomon shows us that filling up ourselves makes us empty. Paul shows us that pouring ourselves out for God and for others fills us with gladness and rejoicing, even in the darkest places of life. Now, that's worth hanging on to, don't you think? 
Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break, I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you draw closer to Jesus and live the abundant life that he has ready and waiting for you. It's called Fresh, a short daily devotional, a powerful scripture verse, together with some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. Or if you prefer, you can now receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. It's completely free. To get instant access either to the digital or the printed version of Fresh, stop by at ChristianityWorks.com. You'll see the Fresh e-devotional sign-up right there at the top of the homepage. Or if you prefer, give us a call toll-free on 1300 722 415 to request the printed Fresh devotional. It's completely up to you. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1300 722 415. So go ahead, sign up to receive Fresh and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus in His Word. Okay, it's time to head back into God's Word in the few minutes that we have left together today. Because God has so much to say about the victory that He has ready and waiting for you. Ah, I know, I know, perhaps you don't feel all that victorious. Perhaps you listen to that bit about being more than conquerors and quietly you're thinking to yourself, you have to be kidding me. If that's you, then this next bit, straight out of God's Word, is definitely for you. So what's the challenge? Well, here it is. During the course of my life, I've met many a person who doesn't want to have victory in their lives. The question I have for you, and my hunch is maybe, just maybe, it's a question that God would have each one of us ask ourselves, is do we really, really, really want victory in our lives? Or would we prefer to just continue with the status quo? Because even though it's not the best life, it gives us something to complain about, it gives us something to let us be dependent on other people. Does that sound harsh? I was with a man recently who was going through a particularly difficult time in his life. Let's call him Derek. It really wasn't very pleasant for him. It had been building up over many years, and now he was in a lot of pain and distress. And and what he needed most was something practical, some practical help and advice to start dealing with key issues that were assailing him. As it turns out, it was an area of life in which I had some experience, so I really wanted to help this guy. I could listen and empathise. That's really important. I was able to help him sort through some of the issues and above all, I was able to connect him with some people who really had some particular expertise in this area, which is something he really, really needed at that point in his life. So I did all of those things. But do you think I could get him to take up the offer of help from experts? No. He wallowed around in his painful dilemma for months, which not only made his situation worse, but made him feel much worse. So sometimes, as it turns out, we don't want help. We don't want victory. We don't want someone pulling alongside next to us. We're wedded to the pain and the mess because that's what we know. And, of course, it gives us something to complain about. We can be a victim. I'm just being honest here. Once when Jesus was wandering through a crowd, he heard someone shouting in the distance. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming by, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stood still and, and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do? The blind man said to him, Teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. You see the, the sharp contrast between Derek, my friend, and Bartimaeus? See, Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus. He sought Jesus. He sprang up. He came to Jesus. And when Jesus asked him what he wanted him to do, he answered quickly, I imagine, Teacher, let me see again. He could have just sat there. He could have just wallowed in self-pity. He could have continued his begging and cycle of dependency. But instead he cried out, sprang up, ran to Jesus, unlike Derek. Derek believes in Jesus. But when Jesus brought someone along to help him, he decided that really he wasn't ready for victory after all. When it comes to victory, the sort that the Apostle Paul spoke of, as we saw before the break, the sort that will let us sacrifice our lives for God's purposes and for his glory, the sort of victory that has us with all that we are, with all the strength and determination that we can muster, taking up our cross and following this Jesus. When it comes to that sort of victory, do you really want it? Or do you want to wallow in your fallenness and your self-pity? Do you want to be dependent? Do you want to just continue complaining about your situation? Or are you going to be a Bartimaeus? Are you going to hear that Jesus has come to you and cry out to him and spring up and run to him and tell him what healing you need? I can't answer that question for you. My job is to confront you with it so that you'll answer it for yourself. Before I go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. This program, Christianity Works, is encouraging so many people in over 160 countries to draw closer to Jesus and live the abundant life that he has ready and waiting for them. But that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. Each dollar that you give today will grow to reach nearly 3,000 people with a gospel message. How incredible is that? That means that a gift today of just $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, that's amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today. You can give securely through ChristianityWorks.com or by calling us on one 400 Again, online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on one 300 415. Hey, thanks so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. Catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace, and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.